the only Ohio State sports podcast made by students for students. The buck stops here. It's time to head to the gridiron and talk about the men of Scarlet and Gray. This is the State of the Shuni. All right, everybody, we are here with Tim Tully for the State of the Shunion on the buck stops here. It's been a while, a little bit late to talk about the Michigan game, but I think we'll be talking about that one for the next 365 days. Uh, so we'll talk about that, and then we'll get into a little bit of the playoff picture because it is a wild one coming up. So, Tim, with everything that's happened on campus in the past week, some real crazy stuff kicked off with the double overtime win against Michigan. What did you see in the game that you liked what did you see that you didn't like let's just talk about it well I loved Ohio State in overtime that's for sure you know I mean going into overtime with 17 points is not exactly an ideal situation when you think you're such a high-powered offense but that Michigan defense was great the Michigan football team was probably the better team on Saturday for 90 percent of that game the Ohio State defense really stepped up in the second half. A couple great plays by the line. I think the linebacking core from Ohio State had about as good of a game as a unit has had for Ohio State in recent memory, other than, I guess you could say, the running backs in the playoff, but just because of Zeke alone. But, you know, Raquan McMillan forcing that interception from Spate that Hooker took to the house, sack from Baker, pick from Baker, all three of them had double-digit tackles. Just incredible. 43 total tackles between that group. Yeah, I know that you're a proponent of Raekwon winning the Big Ten Player of the Week for defense, but I thought it should have been Jerome Baker, man. He had such a game. I thought he got robbed. Well, you know, I, I think Ohio State, I, I'm not 100% sure this is how it happens, but I think the schools each nominate a player. Yeah, I get that because obviously Raekwon hasn't really gotten any sort of recognition all year, and he's been that stalwart force. But he's had the game. He had the game this week with 16 tackles. He made some. He made some plays though, man. There was one play where Mason Cole, their left guard, was holding him, and he was yeah. in open field. And I think it was Davion Smith had the ball, and Raekwon had one arm and tackled. They would probably save the game yeah, because they would have been able tackle. to run another, another big chunk of clock off. And just what? How impressive was the Ohio State defense in that second half? That. Michigan just they shut down offensively a lot of three and outs a lot of forcing a lot of punts and Michigan's punter wasn't so good Kenny Allen had a great day Ohio State probably would have been able to pull that out in regulation and before we really they would have been able to pull it out in regulation had Tyler Durbin been able to make a kick but had one or two you know we had the uh our fellow broadcasters next to us in the camera deck the other day saying that Tyler Durbin was the worst kicker in college uh football Although his first true misses were on Saturday, so you know, you know a lot of well educated coming, a lot of a lot of objectiveness yeah. coming out of that side of the booth. But um, I thought Durbin had a rough day, but it was a big moment for him to come back and make that kick, and that was a low kick. I didn't even see it until because you and I did the second half of that game. That kick was low, man. I, I, it's crazy how hard he just pounded. He's like, I gotta get up and kick it right through. So good on him, and hopefully to let him build some confidence if there are more games to play. Yeah, I, I mean, Tyler Durbin came through when it mattered, and, and that's all that matters. Ohio State's offense, I don't know what happened because we looked so horrible the whole game, and the offensive line was seemingly getting dominated. And then when it got to, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter and then into overtime, JT Barrett working the read option. I don't know exactly what it was because, I mean, JT Barrett's very good at the read option. He holds the ball in there long and usually makes a fantastic read. And that's just what happened. The, the O-line was opening up the correct holes and the correct reads were being made 
uh, for fourth quarter in that overtime, and we looked completely different. Yeah, well, I think one th- one reason Ohio State's offense kind of got going in the second half was JT Barrett was running, he was scrambling. And I think when he's at his best mm-hmm. running the football and playing football, when he can use his legs as a weapon rather than, you know, just a tool, when he uses – when I say that, I mean when you're running for four yards on a zone read, it's one thing he's getting hit. But when you know they're in man coverage and JT Barrett can outrun Jabril Peppers, stiff arm him, and mm-hmm. run for 41 yards to flip the entire field, they ended up missing a field goal on the end of that drive. But just an incredible effort by Barrett just to move and just take advantage of the game and make that something they have to worry about because it opens up passing and running lanes for him. I think that's something that we haven't even really seen – it happened at the very end of the Penn State game when obviously they were covering way downfield and there there was space to run for JT. But I don't think it was anything that we've seen all season until this game where JT Barrett was actually taking advantage of that man coverage downfield, like you said, and then realizing, you know what, these linebackers are past the first down marker. I can just run for this first down and gain yards. He did it against Jabril Peppers, did it against Taco Charlton for a big first down on the outside. So I think almost... That's something that Ohio State can use to their advantage, almost like a design play where, you know what, say to JT, if something's not there right away, hold, hold, and then just go for it, man. You 15, 20 yards ahead of you, why not? Yeah, and they have that design play where they run kind of a quarterback draw where everybody runs a 15-yard route and then stops up and tries to block, and he takes his time before running upfield. And it works for them really well. I like those plays a lot better than when they snap it to him and let Mike Weber lead block for him going to the outside. And Mike Weber was quiet for most of the day, but he had a couple big conversions. He had big carries when it counted. He, he yeah. made the plays that needed to be made. And it was something where we were saying even in pregame where if Ohio State's going to win, the best player on the field needs to be Curtis Samuel. And it certainly was. He got the ball in the last play of the game. He had the ball in the second last play of the game. My heart stopped in the middle – or the third to last play of the game. The fourth yeah. down was in the middle think, there. But my heart stopped right in the middle of that call. If we listened to it, I, you and I were both just bated breath, just mm-hmm. – I couldn't talk for all of overtime. I was so nervous. Incredible. I think that play, No, nobody's talking about that play. Such an underrated play. Ohio State football, their Twitter right now is posting, you know, the top 16 plays of the season and having a little playoff style debate where fans can vote on what they think their best play is. I don't know if they're going to have that Curtis Samuel. No, that was the first one out. It was oh, the first was? one out in their bracket. It was. The, the first, uh, like, so they had 16. That was number 17. The, it was uh, a ninth offensive play. No way. Dude, I think I that, was looking at it earlier. That today. might be the play. That, obviously, the favorite play of the season is the overtime touchdown, but that might be the play of the season where he was oh caught like 15 yards behind the first down marker and then somehow managed to get it within a yard. That was all Curtis Samuel. Crazy play, like you said. We our hearts stopped halfway through the play. But you know what? That's what I'm saying. When when you gotta just get him the ball, man. And that was a terrible play call to do a oh, swing yeah. pass on third and ten. When if it, you lose a yard, it was you're the near, si- near sideline too. I think they ran I, it too. That's I hate that. And so, but they gave him the ball and he made a play and he knew he had to make a play. And when he ran into Jamarco Jones in the middle of the field, I thought he was gonna fall over mm-hmm. and that was it, man. I, I really thought. And, and then when he reversed direction and he saw JT Barrett start to lead block for him, you were like, oh boy, this might be a touchdown. I thought he was gone. I really, when he went over that, I think it was the 25 or the 20, mm-hmm. the yard marker, I was like, oh my God, he's gonna score. And then he kind of cut in and made a play, but that was a really exciting play and that's gonna be hopefully not be forgotten in the test of time but yeah i mean I this is a not. game this is a game they're going to be talking about for as long as i play football out of the games that you've seen where does this one rank for you you think it's better than 2006 equally as important 
because those are kind of the two in the 2000s that really stand out as, you know, one versus two, two versus three to go to the playoff, the national championship. Well, I think importance-wise, maybe you could say, now with the playoff, it's all different, but, you know, if Ohio State lost in 2006, they wouldn't have gone to the championship there. And now Ohio State going to, hopefully going to the playoff if everything holds, which we'll get to a little bit later. But just the – this would have meant Michigan was back, man. You know, and if Harbaugh got the win, if they win, it's, it makes them formidable. And now, you know, people are talking about Harbaugh going to the NFL. Or they have 44 seniors graduating. Is this Michigan team going to be the same after all that's going on? You know, after next season when Ohio State really – really young team the youngest team in the country had 44 freshmen on saturday mm-hmm. so that's where you get a, this was the biggest highest stakes game since that 2006 mm-hmm. game it's just a game overall i mean i watched that 2006 game four or five times just ohio state just stalemate 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 on saturday and then when they get to overtime you kind of feel like oh my god they're gonna win like i at halftime especially standing next to those jesters in in <laughs> In the camera deck, you know, you're like, oh, my God, they're going to lose, and we're going to have to deal with these guys. So incredible effort by Ohio State, and just especially you miss two field goals. That's I'm a, you know, Cowboys fan. They always say when Dan Bailey misses a field goal, that's when you know something's going wrong. And Tyler Durbin, it's the same way, man. He didn't miss all year. So when he missed a field goal in Penn State, they lost. Yeah. When, you know, he misses these two figures, like, this is just not – this is just bad. Yeah. It's just weird. And, but you knew how much it meant to everybody. My favorite moment of the Saturday before the touchdown was Urban Meyer waving his arms up in the oh, air. Man. On the first play so of the game. Loud. On the second play of the game, the atmosphere was incredible. And a lot of people, longtime Ohio State goers, I was listening to the Albert Breer podcast on Tuesday, and he said that was the best atmosphere he's ever been for a sporting game. It, I, I it, definitely agree. The crowd noise registered as a five-and-a-half magnitude earthquake on, like, seven di- different instances. Absolutely insane. Yeah, it was incredible. And it was good to see I, – I can't tell you, though, like, when – Urban's flashing his arms in the air and getting it the crowd going. It, it, it's awesome. And you can tell it means a lot to him. And I love that picture of taken from the end zone where you can see Curtis Samuel celebrating yeah. and Urban is flat on the ground in the background. So that's, there is. That, it's one of my that's favorite pictures. the Ohio State picture of the year right there. The, the entire emotion of the rivalry in one, the jubilation from the player and then the coach sprawled out just – it, it, it was awesome. On the, sprawled out on the ground, so excited, so relieved. To, to beat the rival in the game. And I, th- I like the thing that you brought up where Michigan obviously has lo- – they're going to lose a lot of guys. They're going to lose Jabril Peppers likely as well to the draft on top of all their seniors. I think they had, what, like 17 senior starters out of 22, something like that. And Ohio State next year is going to have so many guys back. I think it's going to be a really exciting year for the Buckeyes. But uh, obviously we have the playoff coming up. So let's get into a little bit of playoff talk because there's a lot that could happen, a lot that I think you and I see eye to eye on regarding who should be in the top four. But I, it's it's really an interesting debate when it comes to what the committee could do and what they're going to do because with all the different things that weigh in, like a conference championship, who really is a top four team in the nation, strength of schedule, there's just so much that could go on. So speak to that a little bit. So we'll look at the Big Ten first. And nationally, I think the best three teams in the country are Alabama, and then there's a step down, and that's where Ohio State and Michigan are mm-hmm. as two and three. However, the way the playoff picture works is it's just strange, man. Yeah. And if Penn State was close with Michigan, 
I think Penn State would be able to get in with a win, but they weren't, man. They got throttled. And you could be like, oh, well, they beat Ohio State. They beat Ohio State. Well, that's great. Ohio State has one loss, and it was to Penn State Ohio at St- Penn State. Ohio State has one loss in, like, arguably the best resume outside of that in Exa- the country. Exactly. I mean, they beat Oklahoma on the road. So Pitt, Penn Huge State win. lost to Pitt, right? So what is your defense for that one? Just because it's a one-on-one. So I, I don't think there's a chance Penn State launches in over Ohio State mm-hmm. at this point just based on the fact that they have two losses, you know? And Ohio State has one. The head-to-head is important, but you're not going to jump a team because you have, you know, if you have more losses. And then also on the other side of the bracket, you want to put Wisconsin in with the win. And, you know, sure, they were close to Michigan, and they're going to have a con- – they, they would have a conference championship, and they only lost to Michigan, you know, at in Ann Arbor, and they only lost to Ohio State at home in overtime, so they probably have a stronger chance. However, they play in the other Big Ten division, you know, and they're getting the they're going to get they're going to get handicapped for that. And they, although they lost both their games in the East, they're going to say, well, Michigan would have been in that title game if they were in that side, or Ohio State would have been in that title game if they were on that side. So, I really think if everything holds, it's going to be the way it looks right now with Alabama, Ohio State. Clemson, Washington, and Michigan at five. If Clemson or Washington loses, I think Michigan deserves to be the fourth team. I don't know if that is what will happen. I think Michigan is the, is definitely a top four talent team. And I think if you looked at the line, even with Washington in there, Washington, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, I think Michigan's the only team that's going to be less than a 10-point spread, really. Against I, Alabama. I, against Alabama. Yeah. I, I – I think it would be mean for Alabama. I mean, Alabama's licking their chops at everybody except for Michigan right yeah. now. I think that – I mean, I completely agree with you on that, where based off of the college football that I've watched this season and I've watched probably probably all of the top ten teams play, that I think, I think Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson are – I don't know about Clemson, honestly. You know, I've I've said a lot of bad things about Clemson this season because I truly think they deserve to have lost at least three times this season. But, you know, they've hung on, and that's a little bit like Ohio State last year where Ohio State was kind of hanging on all season and didn't look as best as they could. But Clemson could turn it on any time, so I'd put them in the top four as well. But those teams, the first couple of teams out, out of it are really interesting. Like, I think Michigan would beat Washington, you know, but how do you put in – Michigan over a Washington team if Washington doesn't lose. That's why Washington will be in, but that Michigan-Alabama game would just be, I feel, so much of a more, of a better game and a more exciting game for the crowds money-wise, uh, Michigan-Alabama than it would Washington-Alabama, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you can only play the teams that are scheduled against you, especially Washington. You know, they're only lost to USC so far. And also, but also and USC's at, a good team. Yeah, look at the schedule difference between Washington and a Michigan. The mm-hmm. teams that Michigan has to play compared to Washington, you know? Yeah, and if Washington beats if Washington were to be beaten by Colorado, mm-hmm. I think and Penn State beats Wisconsin. And remember Colorado played Michigan tough for a half. I think Colorado deserves it more than Penn State just based on the fact that they'll have beaten you know, a top five team in the conference championship. They were close with Michigan at Michigan. I don't think they'll be put in by any means. No. But I think it's definitely an argument to have Colorado over Penn State in that situation. But Penn State will probably get the nod for the same reason Ohio State got the nod over Baylor mm-hmm. and TCU a couple of years ago mm-hmm. is that, you know, the alumni aspect as well. And the ability for the Peach Bowl or for the Fiesta Bowl to sell tickets will definitely help in that regard. 
What do you? Th- how much sway? How much influence does Barry Alvarez have on the playoff committee? Because obviously Wisconsin, if they win, they'll be in the conversation. And, but I think it would it would only take a Washington loss, right, for Wisconsin to get in. Yeah, I mean that's a one. Dude, I Washington has to lose for Wisconsin to have a chance. And even then, I still I I can't shake Michigan, man. They were so good. They were you know, if J T Barrett fell and was a yard short there, or if Tyler Durbin missed that and one more kick. Ohio Michigan's State's in out. Playoff. Yeah. Ohio State's out, and Michigan's probably the number two team in the yeah. country. So I don't. It, I mean, but they didn't win the game, and they—that was what people said. It was a semifinal. In a, in a way, it was a semifinal or a quarterfinal for the playoff. But I think Michigan is better than Wisconsin. I think Michigan is better. Is I mean, miles. I think head and shoulders better than Wisconsin and Penn State. Yeah, and Penn State's been better after that Ohio State win. Really, kind of catapulted. Been, yeah, they've them. been very good since then. I'm but, not trying to discount them, but Michigan is a very, very good football team, and you can't discount the magnitude and just how good that game on Saturday was between Ohio State and Michigan. That and was top level stuff. Well, I'll tell you what. If Iowa didn't beat Michigan, oh. I think Ohio State and Michigan are both locks. Yes, agreed. Locks. I because I mean, Ohio State would have one loss. Michigan would have one. They, I mean, Ohio State would play Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship, and even with a, I don't, oh, I don't yeah, know oh, about with a yeah. loss, if, but it would have been. But if Ohio State would win, they'd be in. Exactly. So. I'd say Ohio State would be two, then Michigan would be four. But obviously, yeah, we're same, not. That's, I mean, that, and that's how it could shake out. I don't think it will. I, that's how, if I was in the committee, if I was in the committee, regardless of what happens this weekend, say Washington loses or Clemson loses, mm-hmm. uh, my three is the one the team that didn't lose. Yes. My two is Ohio State. My one is Alabama. And my fourth team is Michigan. Just based on putting the best four teams yes. in to make the best, four, the best playoff. And we saw last year with Michigan State, man. They put Michigan State in because they won. And they got, and they got slaughtered. throttled. Throttled. That's bad for the. That's bad for the program, it, man. It was this close to. It was. It was a uh, inches touchdown away from being Iowa playing Alabama. Yeah. Iowa. I, imagine that. Yeah, and then and Iowa that. went and, and got Iowa, throttled by Stanford. And Stanford should have been that fourth Stanford team. Stanford should have been the fourth. Stanford team. should have been that fourth team. Could have been Ohio State just as easily as well, but you know, obviously this season different than last. I think this season a lot different than last season because all these teams have kind of wacky losses. With yeah, I think. Well, I think last year's last year you had a better a you had a better crop of talent. I mm-hmm. think across. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State. I think there's was, more parity this. Ohio year. State was dominant last season, and they got they tripped up against Michigan State, and that was, you know, then they throttled Notre Dame. Notre Dame's terrible this year. Oregon's terrible this yeah, year. They weren't weird. great last year. Florida State Michigan was hanging State's around last year. Horrible Oklahoma year. was great last year. Clemson was gr- Clemson was great last year. Yeah, not were, you know they were elite last year. And Alabama and it's just it's frustrating to watch you know because you like I really think Alabama's one, Ohio mm-hmm. State is three, and Michigan's four. I yeah. think the difference. I don't think Ohio State would be able to beat Michigan. Or beat Alabama. I'm sorry. I think that front seven Alabama would have a real, real field, good day against game. Isaiah Prince or the rest of that offensive line for Ohio State, mm-hmm. unless they stepped up. Because Zeke's not there, man. And yeah. Mike Weber's a great back, and he's Curtis, not there yet. Curtis is a great back, and and with time, I think Mike Weber could be, you know, that Carlos Hyde Zeke back. Mm-hmm. But 
Zeke had a way of if there was somebody in the hole, he was going to juke that guy out and beat him to the corner. Yeah, and and we're seeing that in Dallas now. But and Mike Weber can't catch the football like Zeke either, and that's a huge yeah. aspect that Ohio State's missing, yeah. I think. And that's why they have to lean on. That's why in the big games they've had to lead on Curtis Samuel more out of the backfield like they did in Michigan yeah. because he offers more. But I think Alabama, like you're saying, just has the personnel to match up and athleticism to match up with a guy like Curtis Samuel, and then other guys are going to have to blossom as playmakers for Ohio State, which we haven't really seen this season. Yeah, and I think that game would be very similar to the Ohio State-Michigan game, but I don't think Alabama would falter you know, running the ball in the second half the way Michigan did. Yeah. And Michigan is a good team as well. I don't know. I mean, I think Ohio State, Michigan, and Alabama all have pretty similar defenses mm-hmm. spread out-wise. I think Ohio mm-hmm. State's you know, their strength is in the back seven. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say the linebackers in yes. the secondary. Yes. And as is Michigan's. But Alabama, that front seven is just so, so good. And that that when you win the game in the trenches, you win the game. So I have more faith in Alabama beating both those teams. But I think you have to wait to the national championship to see Ohio State play them because I don't think it's fair to Alabama to slot Ohio State at four in the first round. All right, so Tim, give us – you've said it before, but give us your finalized – what you think after this weekend, your final college football playoff rankings, one through four, who's going to be in? Who's going to be out, and what are the games going to be? I think you're going to have Alabama, one, Ohio State, two, Washington, three, and Michigan, four. I think Clemson is going to lose to Virginia Tech, and I think Michigan is going to get the benefit of the doubt of a sloppy Big Ten championship or Penn State is going to blow out Wisconsin. And I think I have a weird feeling about Penn State winning big, kind of the way Ohio State did. Against and then Nebraska? Against Nebraska. Yeah. Against uh, Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin in the so Big Ten. Okay. I, I feel, and then it's going to come down to Michigan, Michigan or Penn State. And even though the game was in Ann Arbor, I don't think you can put Penn State in over Michigan. Michigan does have two losses in the last couple weeks. Uh, God, it's, it's hard. I, don't, I, I wish it was six, but I'm going to stick with that. I think – be honest with you, I'm trying to throw that Clemson upset in. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if it was the way it was and the one through four. But we gotta, you know, we have to create a little talk radio, yeah, you know, a little, exactly. little something to argue about. So I like that's, this, I like that's this, the way I'll yeah. do it. I, Ohio State, Washington in Phoenix, and then Michigan, Alabama in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. All right, last thing that I want to talk about: What are your thoughts on the Big Ten Conference awards? Who do you do you think anybody was robbed? Do you think everybody rightly deserved what they were given? Well, I think I. I was closer in, you know, rankings as Jabril Peppers was to the first. That's how close <laughs> he was to me in the back. He was only top 30 in, uh, I believe it was Tackles for Loss. Tackles for Loss, he was ranked. They they said on Twitter that he was ranked fourth, but what I saw w- from the official Big Ten standings was that he was seventh in Tackles for Loss, and that was his only top 30 category. Yeah, I think— But he's a— He's the Big Ten defensive player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just take a look at that JT Barrett long run last week. I'm sure the Big Ten defensive player makes that tackle every mm-hmm. time. And, you know, he's a great football player. I think he's he's going to be a great offensive player in the NFL. <laughs> um, I think he's more dangerous. He's going to be a great Curtis Samuel type he in the is NFL. He's 100% more dangerous with the ball in his hand. And he had that interception the other day, which is a great play by him. And that, But – you're not scared of Jabril Peppers until he has a ball in his hand. Dude, that's deflect, what I think. He had a deflect interception. But as soon as he caught it, you thought he was gone. Jerome Baker's interception was far more beautiful. I agree with I you. Agree. Yeah, with the football I, in his hands, well, very dangerous. But I think the player wait, of the you year. You know who's really dangerous with the football in his hands? 
Malik, Malik Hooker. Hooker. He's, he's, he's wow. pretty dangerous. When Malik Hooker has a three-minute highlight tape and all but two plays are interceptions, that's when you know he's a baller, man. You know, And another guy who I think probably should have got more recognition was T.J. Watt of Wisconsin. You know, He Very had a great year as well. I, I just don't think – you know, Pepper's won and great. He's a great player, and it's easy to say mm-hmm. in Columbus, Ohio, yeah. but – I think Malik Hooker did I'm more. To be Malik unbiased. Hooker did more defensively and statistically than Jerome Peppers did this year. Sixty-seven tackles. He had multiple double-digit tackle games. Six interceptions. Three return for touchdowns. Four if you, should have had four yep. if that one behind the play. They had a flag behind the play. The guy is just absolutely electric in every big game. He seems to make an important play. It's like, and then my my one big beef. My one big beef with it all. You know, rank or awards or awards. And that's how it goes. I'm sure Ohio State is way more happy to be in the top four and to have won the game than, you know, to be in consideration for the, all these awards. But how do you not give Malik Hooker defensive back of the year if you're not going to give him defensive player of the year? How does Jordan Lewis win it over a guy yeah. with six interceptions? So that must be your point. They must have even thought that he was a better player in that regard. But, I mean, Jordan Lewis, I'll tell you what, though. I thought he was scoring on that kick return to end the game. Oh, yeah. I, I said so to you. Scary. I said to you, man, I think he's gone. I think he's going to score. Austin Mack made a great play. And Durbin, Huge play. Tyler Durbin made a great play as well. But, yeah, I mean, the Big Ten Awards, JT Barrett, another another quarterback of the year award, is second and three. Probably would have had another one last year if they let him start. Mm-hmm. Um. Mike Weber, freshman of the year. Mike Weber, freshman of the year. Pat Elfline, offensive lineman, lineman of the, the year. year. Good stuff. Sam Hubbard left off all three Big Ten teams. He didn't have the stats. Mention. Yeah, he didn't, didn't have, have the stats. stats. Tyquan uh, Lewis, defensive lineman of the year. I thought yep. that was a little bit yeah, shocking. Yeah, it was surprising. Yeah. He had that huge play against Wisconsin, man, really. And Gary on Conley was a second team. Yeah. Second team Marshawn all Big Lattimore Ten. Marshawn Lattimore got Lattimore first. Lattimore was first, yeah. so. And that might have been because teams weren't throwing at Gary on Conley. They were throwing mm-hmm. at Marshawn Lattimore. He still make plays, but they were more afraid of Conley. But that's really, I mean, the big. I think they got it right. I except for except, except they did not get Peppers. linebacker of the year correctly either. They they gave linebacker of the year to Jabril Peppers when it easily could have been T.J. Watt or Raquan McMillan. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair argument. And Peppers isn't even a true linebacker. He's a hybrid. So they just obviously wanted to stroke him a little bit. They he's the best player in the Big Ten Conference, arguably the most athletic player in the nation, so they had to hook him up. Yeah, hey, I don't, I don't blame him. you got to do what you got to do, especially if you're trying to get a Big Ten guy to New York City in a couple <laughs> weeks. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's Tim Tilly for the State of the Union, talking Ohio State football, talking college football playoff. So, everybody, keep your eyes out. Big game coming up this week with Washington versus Colorado. A lot, of, a lot weighs on that game. Same goes for the uh, Virginia Tech-Clemson game, so make sure to tune into those. And then depending on what happens, we will have Tim Tully back next week to hopefully uh, preview the college football playoff with Ohio State included. We'll be back on the buck stops here. This is Nick Schilke. This is Shayla Cooper. This is Yanni Pavlopoulos of the Ohio State baseball team, and you're listening to the Buck Stops Here. All right, everybody, we are back on the buck stops here. We changed things up today going football first with Timmy T, the colorblind coordinator. But now we're back with my beautiful, wonderful, fantastic co-host, Nate Rubenstein. Man, Nate, it's, it's really coming down to it. You're almost out of school here. Graduating, yeah. what, the 18th of December? 18th of December. It's kind of surreal. Oh, um, I'm going to miss you so much. Yeah, it's, it's you know, th- I actually wasn't even thinking about it until yesterday when Ella was like, wow, you have your last game coming up. And I kind of just looked up to her and I was like, 
Wow. Yeah. You looked up to her, but she's like she, I was sitting. Smaller than I you. was sitting down, and she was standing oh, up. Oh wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's kind of an unreal moment because you know you think about it and you're like, ah, oh, school's not only it's not only over after December 18th, but it's forever. forever. Unless I plan to go to grad school, which I probably won't. But nonetheless, you know, figuring out my postgraduate plans. Uh, we'll see what happens in the next couple weeks. Um, further right. announcements will happen, but we'll talk about <laughs> basketball. All right, let's let's hop out of the fields. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll uh, talk some hoop now. Ohio State basketball last evening dropping to Vir- to Virginia and really a heartbreaker. So yep. what did you see in that game? You're, you're our resident hoops expert here. Yeah, so um, going into the game, it was kind of it was it's first of all it was a very important game for Ohio State because no matter if they win or lose against a team like Virginia who was ranked number who was ranked number six before going in I don't know if they're going to change or not um those are the kind of games that really depend on if Ohio State makes it to the tournament uh in March because you know you look at it and you don't want um there's Tim you know just looking in as we talk hoops here you don't want uh to pick, you know, Ohio State is not going to get into the NCAA tournament if they just lackadaisically go into these type of games and get blown out. So the fact that they really competed with Virginia at their home court was super important. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they were leading the pretty much the entire first half was huge. Um, UVA is historically one of the best defensive programs in the nation. Mm-hmm. They always seem to have a good defense. Yeah. Um, no matter what kind of scorers they have on the team, they always make sure that they are strong on the defensive end. So, yeah, when you guys talked about right before Tim left, as far as uh, turnovers go for, you know, Jaquan Lyle, and, you know, he played so great the first uh, four, four or five games of the season, um, had a lot of turnovers last night. It's going to happen against a team like Virginia, especially when he's handling the ball majority of the time. Um, and he has a guy like uh, Permantes covering him. So what does Ohio State need to do to limit that sort of stuff against better competition? Because you, you, obviously, I think this game was really important, like you said, for Ohio State because it proved that we could play with yep. you know the big dogs in the country. But you got to be able to finish, and it really was just those mistakes, those turnovers that didn't allow us to win that game. So how do we correct that? Well, it's going at their pace, and so last night when they were they were playing at UVA's pace pretty much the entire mm-hmm. second half, which it's half court. Yeah. UVA doesn't push the ball a lot. Um, they like to set up their sets, and so when they're and so obviously if if that's how they play on offense, that's how they practice. So that's how their defense is practicing too. So when Ohio State slows their ball, slows the ball down and plays at a half court set, UVA is playing against you know a team that's one not as experienced as them, and two at the same pace that they're playing in practice. So it just it's just a lot easier for UVA to control that on their defensive end. Um, Ohio State, go, if they were to push the ball up like they were in the first half, um, finding those holes on a fast break, it makes it a lot easier for Ohio State to find their sort of momentum during the game. I agree with you. So Ohio State, we need – you and I kind of talked about it last night. Ohio State needs a killer. Yep. On offense, yeah. So, so what is is there anybody on this team that's capable of doing that, or is there anybody that's going to step up for Ohio State? Because Jaquan Lyle, uh, he was a five star recruit, correct? 
Yeah. Jaquan Lyle expected to be, you know, a baller for Ohio State, but you said he's a little bit slow. He's obviously very big to run the point for Ohio State, six foot five, six foot four range. So is there anybody outside of him that could step up? Do you think he still has the capability to step up as a leading scorer for Ohio State? I really think he's getting there. And I think that, you know, a lot of people were spectacle about him at point guard, but I think point guard is where he fits. He's a great ball handler. Uh, he has some really nice dribble moves last night. Um, and he does – he just takes a lot of risks, which you also want in your point guard. And um, But I don't think right now um, – he's only a sophomore, and, you know, some people take a little bit more time than others. I think yeah. that when you look at players that go to Kentucky, they're ready to go to the NBA immediately, especially with the guy like De'Aaron Fox. I think that he's incredible. But um, a guy like Jaquan Lyle, no, he's going to need the four years to develop as a point guard. And he, as a point guard, he's not going to be the number one guy to take that shot at the end of the game. So that's where it's kind of like, all right, who is going to be taking that number one shot in the game? If it's Jaquan Lyle, it's going to be hard to defend because he's bringing the ball up pretty much the entire game anyway. So it's really easy to, to game plan against a guy like Jaquan Lyle right now. Um, last year, you know, uh, they really thought that it would be Mark Loving, and Mark Loving is simply a spot-up shooter. And he's much better as a spot-up shooter. He doesn't want to be anything else. But, um, you know, the last person we had, D'Angelo Russell, was that was like the last killer, and it really goes to recruiting. Uh, like you know, like we said, like I said last night, the run, D'Angelo Russell came to Ohio State because a lot of people doubted him. And so, um, you know, Jaquan Lyle, he, isn't, he was an Ohio State caliber recruit. So it just made sense for him to come mm-hmm. here. So uh, all the people that have come to Ohio State co- for recruiting in the past few years, mm-hmm. it makes sense. So, like, Ohio, I'm all over the place right now, but Ohio yeah. State needs that one guy, like you said last night, that is overlooked, um, has something to prove, yeah. and flat out wants to put the ball in the cylinder. Yeah, that's what I said to Nate last night. We were texting about it a little bit after watching Ohio State drop that game to number 6 Virginia. He said, he said Ohio State just needs a big recruit to come in, you know, and be that killer for us, be that leading scorer like D'Angelo Russell was. And I said, obviously, the way that Ohio State is right now, if we're not going to be in the top 25 at all times, it's what it's going to take is some guy that goes overlooked, a three-star, a four-star recruit that goes overlooked by some of the bigger programs, comes in here, and his game really develops and sprouts into something special where he's going to pop us into the top 25, the top 15, the top 10 even, with with his ability to score alone. And then, you know, other recruits will come in here once they see Ohio State back into the tournament. Obviously, that makes it a good place for other recruits to come in. Kind of like, I mean, Ohio. I can draw a lot of parallels between Ohio State and Florida uh, early on, earlier on in the mid-2000s when Ohio State and Florida were both uh, in the national title game title games in both basketball and football where both of those teams were you know going to be in the top 25 in hoops and football both every season and now we've seen that change a little bit where obviously Florida has dropped out of the 25 top 25 they're they're a lot like Ohio State in basketball where they're right on the border at all times and then in football obviously Ohio State has become more dominant Florida has with Urban Meyer transferring over but what what is what's stopping Ohio State from being that sort of team, being a, to- a team that should be in the top 25 at all times, because such a big university like Ohio State, you just associate them with athletic su- success. We should be a Virginia in basketball. What's the difference? Is it the coach? Is it the recruiting? Is it just the overall attitude of the team? What is it? I mean, it's, it's, it is a huge question, uh, and you can look at all different areas, and it really, I personally believe it comes down to those battleground recruitings, and 
you know, uh, one great example is uh, uh, Xavier Simpson, who he's at Michigan now. He's a freshman this year out of Lima, Ohio. I was introduced to him by my former roommate, Daquan Knuckles, who was on the show. Uh, Amazing point guard from Ohio, top 100 recruit, should be at Ohio State. No doubt. Why is he not? It's it, however Ohio State attacked the recruiting. It's it. I mean, Mich- Michigan obviously attracted him a little bit more. Um, Might have been you know uh, how the point guards were stacked up here at Ohio State with Jaquan Lyle here. I mean, it, it's hard to you know come and know that you're going to be a backup. But um, no one wants to be if you're a star recruit in basketball, especially. I think that basketball has gotten to the point where a lot of players are very egotistical. Mm-hmm. No one wants to be second tier. So when you come to Ohio State, you're second tier in you just, basketball. We, we just got to have some of those. It sounds like we just need some guys that are that really have something to prove. I know. And, Play you with know, a chip if, on their shoulder. And, and that's what D'Angelo Russell embody, yeah. embodied. Like, I feel they like that's like to what him. Virginia has a lot of guys like that. They have, like, London Perantes and everything. They're top-tier recruits, but I feel like they kind of played with an edge, you know? Like, they're not yeah. a top-three team. They're a top or top 10 team where they still have stuff right. to prove, where they're so, a defensive chippy team. Yeah, and so that's where it starts. You know, you start – Ohio State needs to win over all the Ohio recruits. And I think that, you know – I mean, I think that, you know, Connecticut – UConn does a great job of that. Uh, Coach Ali in Connecticut, he does a great job winning over all of the home state guys. Um, and, you know, then you branch out. It, it's, a, it's a process, I think. And what I've learned from recruiting, uh, especially in basketball, is that you want to win over – you know, your home state for your, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, for, like your, I don't know, I forget the word. <laughs> but uh, it's it's like your home state, and you want to win over all those recruits before you start getting your national attention. And that's how the small schools grow. And so that's how Ohio State needs to grow now. And, and you know, especially uh, with the help of Greg Paulus, who played at Duke at such a big-time level. is, And then, you know, you <laughs> it's just so frustrating because you could bring a recruit to an Ohio State football game, and you could tell them straight mm-hmm. up during the game, hey, listen, if we're good, we could fill whatever. I don't know. Schoenstein Center. Shots, which is like a third of the sh- – uh, Yeah, Schoenstein right? Center. No, be like a third. less than that. The Schoenstein <laughs> Center fits like the student section of the shoe, but Still. same difference. Because I was, I was going to bring that up as well because I feel like the crowd plays into it so much because the Ohio State basketball games have such horrible crowds. And if you were watching the game last night at Virginia, that crowd was into it the whole game. And it was late at night. That game ended right around midnight. But the student section was just buzzing. It was loud the whole game. And, I mean, I thought it was a testament to our guys, Ohio State, in the first half that they were playing right through it. And they held even a 16-point lead at one point. But then at the end, it obviously became too much for them. But just imagine what we would be capable of. I feel like if we had that environment in our games, we'd easily be a top 25 team. Because our team is not – we do, like you said, we do not have a prominent scorer on our team, but we're six and one right now, and we yeah. played one of the best teams in the nation. Very, very tough. Very tough, and you know, I think that we're going to compete in the Big Ten and the Big Ten Conference. But going back to the whole uh, crowd thing, it's like uh, definitely football takes over here. Yeah. But uh, coming from a basketball background, coming from Connecticut, where UConn basketball is like pra- praised upon, it's like well, obvi- basketball. College thing basketball. College basketball is like one of the I mean the March Madness is one of the best tournaments in the year. Yeah, probably and so, is. So it's like I it's just it's just hard it's hard to fathom that a school like Ohio State isn't in the top twenty five every year. And it's very it's very frustrating and uh they're definitely the program's definitely not it at the top 
And I think that it really started to go down ever since Evan Turner left the program. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot to be worked on, especially, uh, like you said, like we've mentioned before, many times so far, the killer needs to be present. All right, so now that we're, we're done talking about last night and kind of the current state of the team, what do you think the outlook is? Obviously, early in the season, what do you think the outlook is for the rest of the season heading into Big Ten play? Where do you think we'll finish in the Big Ten based on what you saw last night? Uh, based on what I have saw last night, and I've watched, I've watched Michigan so far. I've watched Indiana, who had a huge win last night against UNC. Um, I've watched Wisconsin so far, another decent team. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to say, I mean, Big Ten's pretty good this year. I would have to say that they're five. I want to say five, or like fifth in the Big Ten, yeah. which isn't a bad thing for Ohio State, especially because mm-hmm. they're so young. Only one senior on the team, and Mark Loving. Um, but there's a lot of hard places they're going to play this year, and I even see you know Illinois is a tough place to play. Yeah. Uh, Big Ten basketball is very competitive, and um, they play, don't get, I mean, Ohio State plays super well in the shot, but, um, I mean, when you go up to Michigan, they treat basketball pretty intensely, too, or Michigan State, Coach Izzo is a legend there. Uh, Michigan State always comes with a good team, especially with Bridges this year. Great player, saw them play also. So, you know, um, I don't see them finishing in the top three by any means right now, uh, especially with Indiana coming off that win against mm-hmm. uh, UNC. But I do see, you know, squeaking into the Big Ten Conference, and if they prove themselves in the Big Ten Conference tournament and during the season, I, th- I think that they could get a solid eight or nine seed in the NCAA March Madness. All right, that sounds – I mean, that's very promising. You think they could – Especially after being in the NIT last year. Yeah, do you think they could make a run at all in the, in the tournament? I mean, eight or nine seed – Kind of the upset Listen, range as an eight or nine. Anything can happen anything in NCAA in March Madness. Baby. I mean, we've seen Butler, Butler, George Mason back in 06. I mean, Florida Gulf Coast a couple years ago. Know, making I mean, a little run. anything could happen in that thing. So, I, I mean, if, if they come down, it really just mm-hmm. depends on who is the best unit uh, as a team. You look at Villanova last year. And, and, and who listened, gets hot at the right time. Yeah, and who gets yeah. hot at the right time. And you look at Villanova last year especially, and uh, I listened to a podcast on the vertical between um, – you know, it was, it was Kyle Lowry, and uh, he was talking about how he used to – he lives, like, right near Villanova campus, and he talks about how he always goes back. And um, he said there was something special about that team. He's like, they all just work together. And that's a national championship team, and especially in college basketball. So my final question to you, Nate, obviously we need more people in the Schottenstein Center for these basketball games. What – First of all, could the basketball team do to improve that? And what would you say to students to actually get them to come to these games? Is it just too much of an issue with the shop being, I mean, it's North Campus, not that far, but just too far from campus? What, what would you do? Well, um, I mean, I think that I think, I don't, I think that the uh, basketball team itself is doing a great job. I mean, they score a lot of baskets. I mean, last night was kind of different because UVA is such a slow-paced team. But um, – they score a lot of baskets, and that's what they – I mean, that attracts fans. Like, they want to see people scoring. They want to see people dunking. There's been a lot – I mean, a lot of dunking from the Ohio State team, especially with Trevor Thompson playing so well right now. Um, even Cam Williams getting up on some plays. But um, as far as, like, what can I say to get a student to go to a basketball game, it's like football games are two times longer. So and and basketball games can be super exciting. They when it go comes so to the quick end. and they're yeah. so exciting. So it's like I mean you're in there for an hour and a half, 
the, it's indoor, so it could get super loud. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the shoe is loud. Don't get me wrong. I mean, five, but, f- five magnitude earthquakes. Yeah, I mean, but it's like inside could get so much louder. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely the shot's a little bit bigger for a college basketball arena. Yeah. But um, I we think it's kind of advantage. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. Sim- I think. I think that uh, to get someone to go to a basketball game, it's quite easy. I mean, hour and a half games. Uh, I mean, pretty good basketball coming to the shot scene center this mm-hmm. winter. It's pretty self-explanatory, Dylan. All righty, <laughs> Nate. Well, obviously, love to have you. One of the last shows that we'll actually have you for. So the yeah. tear is beginning to well up in my eye. So obviously hey i mean we started this on the ground in july uh it's we've gotten to we've gotten we've reached goals and uh, definitely have some more goals to accomplish in the future obviously very excited very happy very happy to have done this with you it's not over yet never we still have time so that's it for the buck stops here this week everybody make sure to come back next week i think we'll be able to have the show on monday again next week is obviously this week with uh with uh, the events that happened on campus, the attack at Watts Hall, that postponed things a little bit. We've been busy. Everybody's been busy with finals coming up. So hopefully we'll be back next Monday to talk about Ohio State football being in the top four for the college football playoffs. Probably about the Cowboys. Previewing a matchup at the Fiesta Bowl most likely. All right, everybody, (laughs) thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in to The Buck Stops Here.